Cheers! Start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we go over this past weekend of racing. Before I do that, let me introduce you to the panel I have in the studio tonight. With me is Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing. Mr. Seth Eggert from Motorsports Tribune, and my good friend Richard Uden, race engineer. How is everybody tonight? Doing well. Doing great. Thank you. All right, so we're coming off a pretty good weekend of racing. Formula One had the week off. IndyCar had not one but two races with a duel in Detroit, and uh, Indy and uh, NASCAR was at Pocono. Um, those uh, two uh, IndyCar races were won by Scott Dixon in race one. Uh, race two, Ryan Hunter Ray comes through for the win, his first win in a couple of years. Uh, but at Pocono, um, Martin Truex uh, Jr. took the win, uh, and it's a kind of a mind-boggling statistic that uh, 21 of the last 29 Cup races were won by just three different drivers: uh, Martin Truex, uh, who won the race, and Kyle Busch, and Kevin Harvick. Um, it's uh, uh, you know, single car, or, or you know, three, three, three guys dominate the series. So, uh, Seth, you've got some other stats about this too. Yes. Uh, on top of that, if you take out the unpredictable nature of super speedway racing, they've won 19 of the past 22 races, and that comes out to about 90.5 percent. And also, some other stats that I have just. Uh, I was looking at something uh, and just comparing the crew chiefs, Cole Pern, Adam Stevens, Pern being Truex's crew chief, Stevens being Kyle Busch's crew chief, to another crew chief, Hall of Famer Ray Evernham. At this point in Evernham's career, they all have about the same number of wins, the same number of top fives, the same number of top tens. The only difference is the number of poles. And one championship each. Which it's just mind-boggling. Not only the fact that three drivers have won almost 75% of races in the past year. But that their crew chiefs are also mirroring the career of Ray Evernham. Interesting interesting stats. So so let's dig into this Pocono race here, right? So we had uh, uh, Martin Truex. It didn't dominate the race, but he was there when he needed to be. So... Uh, Gray, um, you uh, pay close attention to race, so let's kind of like break down Pocono uh, uh, bit by bit and talk about the race. Well, well, you know, it was still like we like we thought. Uh, Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick uh, show up, and they're pretty much uh, pretty much uh, the class of the field. I think uh, Harvick probably led the most laps uh, in the race, and just for some uh, uh, late race strategy. Uh, would could have very well have in, ended up winning winning the race again, uh, kind of put him behind a little bit, and then again the call with clean air, uh, which was Truex was able to get out front on the last restart and drive away from the field. Uh, good run for uh, the Chevrolet of uh, of Kyle Larson. He showed some strength there. Uh, I think the uh, Hendrick cars showed a little bit of strength in the race there. Jimmy Johnson and Bowman. Uh, uh, ran uh, in the top ten most of the time. Unfortunately, uh, was uh, collapsed in a, uh, in a crash. But uh, he had a good run. So, so some, uh, you know, uh, the second race in a row, we've seen a little bit of a 
with our own teams, so we're going to be better. So uh, look to see that continue this weekend at, uh, at, at Michigan. But uh, Truex was uh, basically was 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 able to uh, parlay uh, uh, some strategy, some good pit work, and uh, get the lead, and was able to hold off Larson and uh, uh, Kyle Busch and, and Harvick there at the end to uh, to get the win. So uh, you know, again, uh, it's. Uh, you know, I heard people talking about the, the top four at Pocono may come down to our top four uh, going into the final race at uh, uh, at um, Homestead. Uh, Homestead. Yeah, and that was and that was kind of the same scenario we talked about last year going into it uh, with with Larson uh, being being the fourth guy uh, coming into that too. And he's he's by he's by far had the best Chevrolet all year too. So uh, we'll see how that kind of transpires as the season goes on. But right now, you know, you got uh, like we said, uh, three dominant teams there that uh, are pulling off uh, you know most of the wins and. Uh, and, and run good and run strong every week. Uh, we're going to, again. We're going to Michigan this weekend. Uh, Larson's on three round win streak there, and I'm sure he has, he's had that date circled on his calendar for a long time to, to go to Michigan and, and, and see what they can do. So uh, uh, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to this weekend to see uh, see what'll happen. Yeah, that's and really interesting. That, uh, go ahead, Seth. Uh, as I was going to say, on top of that. Uh, the streak that Larson's going for, four wins in a row at Michigan, the last time that happened was in the 1980s with Bill Elliott. Uh, but going back to Pocono real quick, uh, Truex got the lead because of a series of late-race incidents that Larson initiated when he turned their coat. At the time, Harvick was leading, and he had a pretty commanding lead over both Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. So, in part, Truex could kind of thank Larson for giving him the lead at the end of the race. He sure could, yeah. So, and and the other thing I was going to mention was, uh, you know, we had talked last week after Kyle Busch had uh, checked off every track on the schedule uh, with a win that uh, Harvick had a chance to equal him this year. uh, because Harvick is uh, the two tracks he's missing are Pocono and Kentucky, uh, so Harvick fell a little short here. But uh, the good news for Harvick is Pocono comes up again in a uh, you know in a month because uh, Pocono has that short uh, schedule in between, and then Kentucky's right there too. So uh, Harvick still has a shot too. Uh, equal Kyle Busch's uh, record of checking every track off uh, with a win. But, um, uh, you know, while he fell short, he sure ran pretty well on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to me, he was he was the favorite until some to, to just the circumstances late in the race kind of put him, put him a little bit behind. And, of course, at, at Pocono, track position is, is critical. And if you can get out front and break away and, and get your car in clean air, uh, you know, you can you can make it very tough on your uh, on your competitors. And Seth, uh, your thoughts on uh, Harvick? Is he going to be able to maybe win the uh, July Pocono race and uh, and maybe come back to Kentucky and uh, match Kyle Busch here? Well, he might win Pocono. Kentucky, on the other hand, he hasn't always run well at Kentucky. Granted, it's only been on the schedule for about six or seven years now. But he just hasn't shown the kind of one-and-a-half-mile uh, cookie-cutter prowess at Kentucky the way he is able to run at Atlanta and Texas and Charlotte. And to his credit, you know, Kentucky's a little different now since they reconfigured turn three and whatnot, so... Uh... I don't know if that uh, helps him or hurts him, or but uh, uh, anyway, it's it's definitely something to chase for Harvick because it, again, it'll be neat to see two guys do this in the same year. That it will. Although there are some that are trying to classify the Charlotte Roval later in the year as being another new venue. There's a little bit of debate as to whether or not that is, but that's another conversation for another time. Well, I would tend to agree that, yeah, that's a different track. 
it's it's like winning the Indy Grand Prix and the Indy 500. That's two different. That's two different animals. Yeah. So I would say the once they add the Charlotte Roval infield road course to there, that's another track that somebody needs to check off the box. Agreed. Gray, you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Particularly, yeah, it's a different, it's a different, uh, different layout, different course. It's at the same venue, but it's a different, uh, different animal. So, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, and, and and you know, we're splitting hairs over that too. You know, uh, you know, win at Charlotte's, win at Charlotte's. Just like you know, uh, if you if you look at uh, Tony Stewart's, uh, uh, <clears throat> Tony Stewart has won uh, won uh, won races on the road course at Daytona, and it. it it goes in with his total victories at Daytona. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, it just depends on how you want to look at it. You know, I don't think it's, you know, it's still winning at, winning at, winning at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, I'm sure some, I'm sure people will uh, want to put an asterisk beside it and some won't. But uh, we'll wait and see what happens when we get to that at the end of September. All right. So, uh hey. Any penalty reports coming out of the out of the race at Pocono? Uh, there was one from the Xfinity series. Uh, Kyle Busch, the race winner in the Xfinity series, uh, he was he failed to meet the heights on the front of the car and was docked ten owner points. Now they also ran that restricted aero package in the Xfinity series race at Pocono. It really didn't change the racing by much other than slowing the speeds down. Uh, otherwise, they are running the same package at Michigan this weekend in the Xfinity Series. Now, there's some talk that we may see this restricted package uh, come to play later in the cup level at some tracks. Um, I don't know how strong that talk is. I don't know what the... What are you hearing? I've heard Pocono, Michigan, and Indianapolis. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't know, if, you know, if, unless they can get a good handle on, on the second Pocono and the second Michigan race on it, I wouldn't see them doing it at Indianapolis because Indianapolis is in the chase this year. Yeah, it's the cutoff for the regular season. Oh, is it a cutoff for the regular season? It's the final uh, okay. race of the regular season. Oh, and then yeah, well then then, then uh, I got it a week. Uh, I got it a week later, but uh, yeah, th- yeah, they could possibly do it there. But I, I would think to me the, the the best case scenario would be to do it at uh, the second Michigan race, and that's kind of what I've been hearing uh, around the shop. So, but we'll uh, we'll just have to wait and. See. No announcement has been forthcoming yet, so uh, we'll just have to see what happens. I mean, in, 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 in any case, this uh, the new package is fairly well received at Charlotte. Um, you know, the racing was certainly slower, uh, but uh, the racing was certainly better from uh, from a lot of accounts. So, uh, can you see NASCAR actually making this move? Kind of, you know, it's almost like they're changing the rules in the middle of the game, um, which they've done before. Uh, but do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing that if we uh, go ahead and try this package uh, during the regular season, uh, in the season it's already started? I I don't see nothing wrong with it. It's the same for everybody. It's a level playing field. I mean, if you go out there and say, "Okay, boys, you know we're going to go to we're going to go to second Michigan race and we're going to apply this," it's the same for everybody out there. The the cream's still going to rise to the top. Uh, the cars that that have the best mechanical uh, setup are gonna are gonna come to the forefront and win the race anyway. We saw that at uh, in the in the All Star race. Uh, it wasn't a big surprise that uh, that that Harvick ran strong and, and ran well there. So uh, I, I think anything that a sanctioning body can do to uh, enhance competition, and they're gonna it's gonna it's a hit or miss proposition. They're damned if they do and damned if they don't. Some things will work, some things won't. But you really don't know how how well things will work until you actually put them in practice. You know, we, we discussed this same thing about Indianapolis last week. The new package there didn't produce the kind of racing that, that, that we had seen over the last uh, uh, half half decade. Really close quarter uh, with a lot of lead changes uh, and that kind of thing. 
and this is one of the things that is probably, you know, uh, one of those cause and effect things. Um, uh, it probably helps helps at some tracks and hurts at others. And I think basically you don't know what what's going to happen until actually you get out there and get a whole racetrack full of cars. You can go do all the testing you want with only a few. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Two cars on the racetrack at a time, but, uh, you know, the proof's in the pudding at, at Indy when, it, when the entire field got out there on the racetrack. Uh, and then, too, the, the unforeseen high temperatures of race day uh, kind of threw a little bit of a kink in it. And, and then, again, we were spoiled uh, at the type of racing we had seen over the years. And maybe maybe that's something that uh, uh, IndyCar needs to do with their uh, Speedway package, do a little bit of tweaking to kind of kind of kind of get the racing back on the speedways like like we like we've accustomed to but yeah you can't you know it's a compromise you're going to run it's going to work well at some tracks and some tracks it's not so but again nascar is in the same boat both both sanctioning bodies are doing what they can to give the fans the best show possible and you gotta you know you gotta applaud both both bodies for doing that but like you said it's uh it's an experiment at best in some cases all right, Seth, and what are your thoughts on this? Well, I'd rather them do it in an actual race than to try to have a test session doing this. And the reason why I'm saying that is in the later years of the Gen 5 Car Tomorrow car, they had tried doing simulation races te- and other things in testing. And NASCAR eventually found out that the teams and the drivers, granted, everyone can be selfish, but just trying to point NASCAR in a direction that would benefit themselves instead of the overall product. That's, so, that's true. Yeah, that's sandbag. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. We used to, we used to see similar things back when we used to go, go uh, testing at Daytona in, uh, in in January prior to the Daytona 500. All the teams would go down there. And you would have teams go down there and deliberately sandbag because they knew that NASCAR would make concessions if they howled enough. And I, I, I you know, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, prior to uh, 2000 and two, 2000, 2001 and 2002, uh, they would make concessions for cars, either with spoiler height or things like that. And basically it was done to, to appease another manufacturer to so-called level the playing field. And it was artificial because teams went down there and deliberately, you know, sandbag, and it's a little bit of gamesmanship. Now everybody's got the same rule package, and that's one thing that led to the card tomorrow. Well, we went to common templates, uh, you know, for the, for, the, for the cars that we have now. So, yeah, Seth, you're exactly right. It, it's going to be a better – it's going to be better if they actually do it in a race where all the factors come into play – uh, you run. You have long stints. You you get tire wear uh, involved in it rather than go to a go to a track and just do testing with with a few cars out there and, and, and do simulations. This will bring uh, this should bring every every contingency that a team is going to face uh, during the course of a of a, of a full race uh, out into play. So yes, yeah, it's, it's a better it's a better test bed for 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 rules package. You know, and I, I personally, I think that the improving the product on the track, improving the quality of the racing, 
does a whole lot more to engage fans than uh, the artificial things like uh, you know, the stage wins and, and and the chase and this and that. But just you know, even even if the speeds are slower, because you know, hey, you know, if you're watching the race, can you tell the difference between a you know 180 miles an hour to 190 miles an hour? No, not really. But um, if the if the cars are close and the cars are fighting, it's it's a much better compelling thing to watch, and uh, better racing is is really uh, the way to engage fans more so than the artificial things like stage races and and these other sort of things. And well, NASCAR's come on, fans want to see side fans want to see side by side racing. They want to exactly, see lead changes. Exactly, yeah. they want to see lead changes at the front at the front of the field. That's what they want to see, and, and that, you know, like I just got through saying, IndyCar had the perfect formula for success at 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 uh, Indianapolis, and that that is what has led, you know, somewhat, probably mostly to the resurgence in the Indy 500. You remember 12, 15 years ago, the Indy 500 was having its difficulties filling filling the stands, and they were oh, large absolutely, yeah, of mm-hmm. Indy of empty seats at Indy and that, you know, that, that, of course, there were a lot of other circumstances to go along with that, the split, then the IRL thing and, you know, and, and all that coming, coming about. And yet it turned people off. But you look at what's happened in the last uh, seven to eight years, the Indy 500 has gone undergone a rebirth and, and they're filling the place. Well, they don't completely fill it up, but it, but it's not many empty seats there. And they've done that because of the formula of racing they've had. They've had, you know, what, 50-some lead changes in a lot of years. And I, I'm not talking about lead changes that take place on pit stop exchanges and things like that. I'm talking about lead changes at the front of the field on the track. And, I mean, in several races we've seen over the last several years, there would be several lead changes uh, unofficially, that happened that didn't happen at the line. That happened all around the track. So yeah, uh, you know, I think NASCAR needs to get us get back in that kind of situation because that's what the fans want to see. They want to see passes and lead changes at the front of the field. That's what gets the fans up up, up out of their seat and gets them on their feet. Exactly. Yeah, you, yeah I mean, you made a very good. Go ahead, Sorry, Richard. You make a good. You make a good point. At the end of the day. Why did they introduce stage racing? It's just trying to manipulate it into a bad package. I mean, you can like stage racing, you cannot. I mean, it's just a way of throwing a guaranteed course. I mean, the only place it really makes a difference are at super speedways when people are desperate to get points towards the end of the season. But if the package was good and the racing was good and it was entertaining, it was close, you wouldn't need the stages. So the stages were like a band-aid over a problem. And hopefully this new aero package is a real fix for certain yeah. tracks. Obviously, when you get to you know, you, you, your Richmonds and your Bristols and your Martinsvilles, you know, that's maybe a different story. But they've got their own unique characteristics, which they may want to look at in some way. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, that the, this is hopefully a proper fix. Uh, the, the stage racing was diff. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, and you, you're right. It, it, what, what, it was designed to create a, a, a sense of urgency. You know, and get these guys to race for points and, and race for positions. Up, up, you know, get into the top ten and improve your position through the top ten. And, and at some tracks, it, it has the desired effect. The guys get to scrambling and racing uh, uh, to 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 garner those points. But yeah, but if you've got uh, if you've got way cars are, are are tightly bunched and very competitive, you know. They're gonna people. The fans are gonna love it, just like they did the All Star. The All Star race was a compelling show. It's very good because you had cars that could that could move actually, could up and down through the field. They could be leading and leading for a few laps, and then and then get passed and fall all the way back to sixth, and then make their way back through the field to the front again. And that's kind of kind of what you want to see uh, the cars be able to do that and be able to stay in contact with one another. Uh, the thing that that before uh, it kind of negated that aero advantage that the lead car has in clean air. Uh, you know, you, the cars were able to run down the leader again. You know, they could get to racing two and three wide behind the leader, and the leader could break away just a little bit. But when they 
cars got lined up single file again, they could quickly run that leader back down and challenge him again. So that, that will, to me, was one of the most encouraging signs that I saw uh, in, with the package at Charlotte. Now, we've all agreed it needs it probably needs a little bit of tweaking, some things. I, I wouldn't tweak with the aero stuff on the car. Maybe uh, something with gearing or uh in in the engines, or maybe a little little something with the with the throttle bodies, or something with a different plate, maybe to um, to give the cars a little bit of acceleration. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think um, I think we're headed in the right direction. I think as long as they keep working toward it, you know, s- slowing the cars down is the formula. You, you you know, people don't people like you said, Frank. They're not gonna. Uh, um, tell the difference between running 100 and 185 and 175 the what you will tell the difference is the cars can go into the corner side by side at those lower speeds that they can't do at the higher speed so yeah and and, and that's going to we've always known that, that was the formula you're going to see better racing if you slow the cars down exactly and and better racing is what's going to help NASCAR kind of rebound i mean we're uh, NASCAR's in a slump there's no doubt about that, but uh, improving the racing rather than improving the show is really going to help. So, but uh, we're out to Michigan this weekend, um, where Mister uh, Chip Ganassi guy Chip Kyle Larson has won the last three. Uh, who was the first pick to uh, pick Larson to win four? I'll go for it. Okay, you gonna take, you gonna take Larson? <laughs> I'll take Larson. All right, Gray. Gonna, Gray, who do you like? Gonna, I like. Um, I'll tell you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm torn between Truex and Harvick because uh, uh, they both ran good at California, very similar track at uh, to Michigan. Uh, so, but I think I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to say Harvick rebounds, picks up. Picks. All right, so you got Harvick, uh, Richard. Who do you like? Bush. Kyle or Kurt? Kurt. Or George or George W. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think so, George could be struggling a little bit, the poor boy. But uh, yeah, it could be. Yeah. So, uh, so you've left me with picking um, Eric Amarola. Why not? So. But uh, let's talk about the uh, IndyCar. IndyCar raced uh, two races in one weekend. Uh, race number one, we saw Scott Dixon come to the forefront after uh, Marco Andretti won his first pole in, since 2013. Uh, his first pole on a road course in his career, which is kind of mind-boggling. Uh, but at the end, Marco just kind of faded. Um, and it was Scott Dixon taking the win, uh, Ryan Hunter a second. Um, I forget who was third there. Who was third there? Anybody know? Okay. So, uh, race two got off with a bang with a pace car driver hitting the wall. And that poor guy, Mark Royce, the, um, executive from GM, uh, taking a beating on social media. Uh, the other guy that took a beating on social media was uh, Alexander Rossi, who dominated the race, didn't quite have enough for his teammate, Ryan hunter Ray. Ryan hunter Ray uh, did the three-stop strategy and played it to perfection. The three-stop strategy does not always work, um, but because uh, sometimes the yellows mess that up. But uh, hunter Ray played that to perfection, had fresher tires, Letter fuel load at the end. Put some pressure on uh, Rossi. Uh, Rossi ends up locking up the brakes, uh, going on the escape road, and then the the front tire disintegrates. Uh, Rossi ends up 12th. Hunter A wins his first race since Pocono 2015. Um, Will Power makes the podium. Still leads the points. Uh, you know, poor old Rossi, he had... Uh, He's had a swing from taking a tremendous points lead to driving a third in the points in the race in, De- in the race in Detroit. So, uh, uh, Richard, uh, you watch this. So, what are your thoughts on this uh, the kind of nutty um, back and forth thing in Detroit? 
Uh, sorry, I didn't. It broke up a little bit there. I didn't get you that question. <laughs> Could you ask it again, please? Okay, so you watch the race in Detroit, right? Ray race to yeah. yeah, race to Ryan Hunter Ray played the strategy uh, to perfection. Put some pressure on his yeah. young teammate Rossi. Um, Rossi ends up uh, splitting a tire, and uh, just just uh, I just just want your commentary on the race. What you saw, what you liked. Yeah, what you did. sure. Um, yeah, I, I, from some of the bits I, I did hear, you, you you say yes, you're very right. The three stop strategy there isn't, you know, it, it relies on a lot of uh, variables on on the yellows and full course yellows, and we it, it worked out perfectly for him. Um, you know, one in one in five or whatever it may be would work. You look like a hero when in reality, you know, you were you were playing, uh, you know, trying to play for a bit of luck there. But it was interesting from some of the comments that Rossi was making, you know, when he actually sat down and looked through some of the data, it shows you the fine margins that these uh, work with, these drivers work with. His comments were along the lines of, as he was having to defend, he wasn't being aggressive in his defending, but he was being assertive, I think is probably the best word. So that resulted in, for certain corners, taking a slightly different line just to nip in, you know, just to nip, um, you know, Hunter Ray to prevent him from diving up the inside. And on a on a road course like that, you have very, very uneven surfaces. So what that was doing was it was meaning that you're seeing different loads under braking through the tyres, and some of the corners were unloading, and then you see this locking of, of, the, of the wheel effect, and then... What happens is once you lock a tire and you lock a wheel and you get a flat spot on the tire, if you do the same thing again, it will happen at the same point. And it becomes a vicious circle. And uh, every time you lock and you hit that flat spot, you, you you damage the tire, you know, incrementally. And unfortunately, as he kept on that line, it, uh, it, it caused that failure, which you saw there. Now, in hindsight, you know, if he backed off and just let Hunter Ray through and finish second and still be in the championship. But that's difficult for a driver to do, especially a driver who, in previous years, people have noted his talent, whereas this year I think people are starting to see him as a naturally a, a title contender and he wants to try and assert his dominance and win these races and, and sort of put a stake in the ground. So it's difficult for him to back off and to let somebody through, and especially a teammate. You, know, you never want to let a teammate through. Although, in reality, he was only quicker purely on strategy rather than pure pace, I think, because at the start of that race, Rossi dominated it. Um, so. yeah, 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 Rossi had that thing in the bag until, you know, Hunter Ray's strategy, you know, put him in a better position at the end. But I, I, as I look at this thing, right, and as, as I look at the last couple of races, so you've got uh, Hunter Ray winning race two, Dixon winning race one, You've got Will Power winning the Indy GP and the 500. Um, and if you look at a guy like Will Power, who's kind of like played second fiddle to Simon Pagano and then Joseph Newgarden, now he's trying to assert himself, say, hey, you know what? I'm not done yet. I'm the team leader here, right? And now you see a guy like Hunter Ray who got a second place on Saturday and a win on – I'm sorry, second place on Saturday and a win on Sunday – um, he's saying, you know, he's played in Rossi's shadow for last year. She's like, I'm not done yet. You've got these uh, these more established guys um, trying to assert themselves, and they've got a car that's reminiscent of what they used to drive, and they probably got a little better experience uh, with this type of car with the lower downforce uh, and, the, and the under tray. And um, I just think we're in in store for a pretty good uh, championship battle down the line because this this thing right now is anybody's game, and Dixon is right there to play spoiler to anybody that uh, wants to claim this thing. Don't you oh, think? of course. And the old adage in any form of motorsporting motorsport really is that the the first person you've got to beat is your teammate. You know, if you finish in a championship if you're beaten by a teammate you might as well finish last in the championship in many many ways so you can only beat the person that you're up against and you look at you know Penske um, 
they're the you know dominant powerhouse in terms of their driver lineup. I mean, you look at those those three drivers they've got there, and you know, arguably there's four drivers, uh, you know, for for Indy. You know, they would be in in all fairness. Maybe maybe you'd take Scott Dixon out of the equation, but they'd pretty much be the lead driver for any other team, any one of those three or four drivers. Uh, and you've seen the Andretti team starting to come through, and they're starting to. I think it's fair to say, certainly in the time that I've been really paying attention to IndyCar, that the shift of the second team has maybe moved from Ganassi over to uh, Andretti in the last year or so. And you know, I know Scott Dixon's still there doing what he does incredibly well at Ganassi, but it's it's not in the days when they had Dario there and some of those guys, you know, really dominating uh, and pushing Penske hard. Uh, you know, so yeah, you, you've got to try and assert your authority on the team, and you've got to get to a position where, you know, you are the number one driver, and all of the resources that that team go into you, and you alone. So that sort of mindset, especially within the Penske organization, is is going to be fascinating. You know, do you? They're, they're lucky in a way, I think, that there aren't more dominant teams around that can push Penske because, you know, those guys, you know, Pagano, Newgarden and Power know that the best place for them to be to win a championship is by far and away Penske. Um, you know, um, they don't want to, uh, you know, there's no other teams where they where they can go and, and realistically push for a championship in, as they can where they are. Exactly, yeah. So, now, towards the bottom of the field, we had a, a new guy in the series, you know, Connecticut-born Santino Ferrucci, who's, uh, you know, pegged as possibly the next American Formula One driver because he's in the Haas F1 development program. And, uh, Seth, you were paying close attention to him and his debut. Uh, it, it wasn't great. It wasn't, you know, wasn't ugly. But uh, what are your thoughts, Seth? Well, it could have been better, honestly, in the first race. Uh, just wrong place, wrong time. He ended up getting dumped by Charlie Kimball in the fastest part of the track. And I, it just my personal opinion, we're lucky that when he went spinning and then skipped over the rumble strip there that he didn't catch anybody while he was airborne. Uh, but in the second race, he didn't make a rookie mistake on cold tires leaving pit road. Uh did a 360, destroyed the front wing, had to come back down and get that replaced. But otherwise, it was a, granted, it wasn't the best weekend, but it was a very respectable weekend that he had. He got a lot of seat time, which is what essentially the plan was. He is uh, subbing, or at least at Detroit, was subbing for Pietro Fittipaldi, who was still recovering from breaking both of his legs. So... All in all, it could have been worse, but it was a decent weekend, at least in the if you're looking at it from the standpoint of the seat time and the experience he gained. Yeah, I mean, th- this guy, he's uh, been signed by Haas, and he's running a full season of uh, Formula 2, uh, but I mean, Haas put him in a, a Formula 1 car for a test uh, early last year, but other than that, he's just in a simulator. And run a Formula Two, so uh, I, you know, good on him getting out there. Um, I don't know how much uh, he paid Dale for the ride there, or, or you know, he's uh, again, you know, comes from a family with some wealth. But uh, the, the kid has considerable talent, and it, it wasn't terrible, but uh, but the results were not great. Yeah, I mean, I think if he's a, a realistic candidate and wants to be considered for that. Um, has drive, you know, you probably would have liked to have seen a little bit more from him this weekend. Um, he was, I don't want to ever call somebody disappointing because, geez, you do a damn sight better job than I ever could. But, um, yeah, it wasn't, uh, wow, that was amazing. You know, it was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, he was, he's like, like, did his thing. He qualified uh, 17th or 18th right there. You know, towards the back of the field, you know. Um, but he was there, you know, he, you want to say he uh, 
took care of the car until he wrecked it. So, but uh, anyway, you know, we'll, we'll see if this helps him or hurts him in his quest to be the next American in F1. But it, it was, certainly was not, uh, you know, a, a, a banner performance. It, it's, you know, so. But anyway, um, the, otherwise, uh, you know, so we're on a Texas. Um, and this is a grueling stretch for the for the IndyCar teams where they have uh, the IndyCar Grand Prix, then they have pole qualifying, then they have the 500, and then they have uh, two races in Detroit, and then they have another short week where they're racing Saturday night at Texas. So uh, uh, this is like the toughest stretch for the teams there because IndyCar teams, unlike NASCAR teams, don't have um, separate crews at the shop and in the um, – uh, at the race, you're talking to the same guys who are doing both. So, a uh, lot, lot of travel all these consecutive weekends. We're on to Texas. And uh, conventional wisdom would tell you, looking at the uh, last couple of speed results, the Chevrolet cars are going to be strong. So, uh, so Gray, what do you think we're going to see in Texas when we get the Indy cars there with this new package? At Phoenix, it was a bit underwhelming. But but it wasn't as bad as um, the the first two Phoenix races. It depends. On, it's going to depend on the tire uh, that they take there. If they see if they see what kind of tire degradation they have there, uh, I don't know that we're going to see a race with a with a lot of lead changes. I just I just don't think that this particular package right now is conducive to that. Uh, these cars it uh, seem to be a little bit of a hand to to drive how uh, they were at Indy. Of course, that was compounded by the high temperatures. I uh, don't, don't know what we'll see at, at Texas uh, there, but again, it's a night race, so we'll see somewhat cooler than if they had to race in the daytime. So, uh, um, I don't, I don't know, know, man. I, you know, you know, I, Greg. I, th- I think the jury's, I think the jury's still out. You know, we'll just have to see if uh, these cars can, uh, can race side by side and, uh, and 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 be competitive, uh, or, or we're going to see a processional race. It's just uh, you know too many things going there. The, the, to me, the big things are going to be the, the tire they go with, and and it being a night race. Now, oddly enough, the uh, the projected temperature for the start of the race in Texas. At 8 p.m. is still to be 94 degrees. But, uh, Richard, I wanted to ask you. Now, we've seen Chevrolet be pretty good on the ovals, right, at Phoenix and at Indianapolis mm-hmm. and perhaps maybe Texas. Um, uh, Chevrolet cars have been pretty pretty good at uh, the permanent road courses, that being Alabama and, again, the um, – the, the road course at uh, Indianapolis. But the Honda cars have just been dominant at the tight street circuits at um, Long Beach, St. Pete, and uh, last week in Detroit. So you being an engineer, what what do you think is, is that engine that makes it a bit different? Because we have a common aero package, so it's not the aero package. So what is it about the Honda compared to the Chevy that is giving this this – you know, this this Ooh. big sway in the, uh, uh, you know, where we have uh, uh, this certain engine is dominant at this type of track and this is that. So what do you think, my man? It's a difficult question. Thanks. Um, well, that, <laughs> I give the difficult the real... questions to you. <laughs> without knowing the exact, um, you know, setup on these cars and the exact, um, you know, numbers should we say from from the from the data it, you know as you say you've got a similar error package so it's nothing to do with that the physical cars are, are pretty much identical in terms of suspension and um gearbox and all this sort of stuff so you wouldn't have thought it's gear ratio because different teams will run different gear ratios naturally um you're probably looking at the engine map which will be divided by each engine yeah. And also the just the torque curve of the engine. I mean, every, every engine, you know, both of those engines will have pretty similar top end performance. Um, you know, maybe with the Chevy being 
slightly higher as we've seen, uh, you know, with the uh, ovals. But it's how you get there, um, which could have a lot to do with it. And also, without knowing for certain, there is a phenomenon which I've seen in the past that, um, as silly as it sounds, some engines just do not work as well over the bumps and over rough surfaces. Maybe it's a timing issue. Maybe it's... Uh, I couldn't give you an exact answer, but um, it, it does appear, and we'll see how it goes throughout the rest of the season, that uh, those Chevrolet engines just don't work as well on bumpy circuits, uh, as silly as it may sound. No, it doesn't sound silly, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of interesting that with a common arrow kit, we have disparity and engine disparity you know the top of the order is not mixed up it's like if it's a if it's a fast track it's chevrolet if it's a slow track it's honda so yeah my my guess would be it's it's torque map is is the prime one and that leads into your gear ratios naturally um but uh, yeah i, I would say you're probably looking at a torque map issue there and that could be uh, a pro- that could be a product of the of the different geometries Inside the engine, valve yeah. train, valve train, camshaft. Yeah, like that. I don't know how much of that is, is sort of predefined by the governing body on there, but yeah. it's actually in a way opposite to what my experience with Honda has been. I mean, back when I worked for for Honda when they had their Formula One project in the early two thousands with BAR, um, our top end was pretty good. Uh, we just couldn't get there. Yeah, we were terrible on acceleration at low end. All they were interested in was high end of the torque curve. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like maybe they've, they've changed their philosophy a little bit over the last, goodness me, 15 years. That's a scary thought. But, uh, yeah, the, could be that they've just changed their philosophy and how they develop an engine. And then another thing is induction. You know, NASCAR had similar situations like that. Even when you go back a couple of years, uh, when Toyota's engines were, were on the open open engine uh, side were very, very strong everywhere they went. And when you went to the plate tracks, uh, the Ford engine came to the, came, you know, was, was the more powerful engine. So yeah, it's, it's, it's different, different things. How, how, you know, even though these engines are, are, are a lot alike in, in, in some, some instances, there's certain things in the way the heads are made, the combustion chambers, uh, little things like that, you know, uh, just how efficient they run, in certain certain uh, circumstances, will uh, will cause a discrepancy that we see. All right, so we're on to Texas with IndyCar. So let's make some picks for Texas. Um, Seth, you want to pick Will Power or not? I was actually going to go with Ed Carpenter. <sighs> okay, you can have Ed Carpenter. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I won't go with Ed Carpenter then. Um, <laughs> Takuma Sato. Okay, yep. After we talk about how I'm the hunters are, are not good on the ovals, yep, that'll work. Yeah, 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 whatever. Gray, uh, Gray. New Garden. All right, I'm going to go with Will Power. The guy's one of Texas. Uh, he's yeah, on a he's roll hot. this year, yep. If he's hot, um, I think Will Power's going to take his championship. And we'll see how that goes on down the line. But uh, let's talk about Formula One. Formula One is coming to Canada, uh, which is uh, one of my favorite racetracks. Uh, I went to that race in 1979. Um, back, I want to say, uh, College Reutemann won that race. Maybe Villeneuve. Who knows? It was Ferrari, Ferrari uh, track at the time. But um, that's one of the few real race courses left in F1. When I say real race courses, I, I mean the, the ones that aren't so sanitized and uh, take care of. But uh, let, let's talk about Canada. Let's talk about Formula One. And Richard, you were telling me about a story where we're trying to uh, Red Bull is trying to steal, or Red Bull, or Toro Rosso rather, is trying to steal um, Lando from McLaren. And what are your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's been a, well, there's not a rumour, it's been pretty much confirmed that, um, and not huge surprise, um, that Toro Rosso aren't exactly 
thrilled with Brendan Hartley's performance. And, you know, for Ernest, Brendan Hartley was never meant to be a, a long-term, um, you know, replacement for um, you know, Danny Kavir. Uh So they're, they're looking to get somebody in there with a bit of ability, uh, not, and, um, or a bit of potential, should have said. And Lando Norris is undoubtedly one of the hot uh, prospects in uh, Formula 1 at the moment. So my understanding was that they wanted him through the end of the year and next year. Uh, and McLaren said, no. Now that leads you to two conclusions. Uh, one, McLaren just don't want to let him out. Or, and secondly, they're looking to get him, a ra- him in a race seat for next year, potentially, and you'd imagine, replacing Fernando Alonso. Um, so that's probably the most interesting thing that came out of this. Uh, I think if Toro also had wanted him through to the end of the season... They would have accepted it. Now, the other side of it, of course, is from a personal perspective. Landon Norris is leading the Formula 2 championship. And unlike uh, you know, NASCAR, you, in Formula 1, you cannot compete in multiple series throughout a weekend. Uh, you can compete in one and one alone. So if he was to take this Toro Rosso driver, that would basically be sacrificing his Formula 2 championship, uh, which would be a shame, really, because the kid's done pretty pretty damn well to get to where he is so um maybe you can read that into it as well but the fact that uh, as i think for my personal opinion is that the biggest takeaway from this is it it shows that um they could potentially thinking about him for a full-time drive next season yeah and and okay so and building on that so is the perhaps full-time drive for next season for Landon norris does that maybe mean that alonzo is going to be there full-time guy in their IndyCar program next year. Ooh. Ooh, exactly. Yeah, because it's like, uh, yeah. uh, you want Landon? No, no, you can't have because I, we have because we have these plans that uh, you don't know about. Yeah, or that Landon Norris comes over to IndyCar next year. Maybe uh, e- either one, yeah. It could be, could be Fernando, it could be Lando, uh, yeah. Or they just don't want to give him to a rival team. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Who knows? Who knows? But it, it's interesting that, uh, and another well, another interesting takeaway from this is, you know, who are Toro Rosso? Toro Rosso are basically Red Bull's junior team, and they are the, the feeding ground for Red Bull junior drivers. Well, what's happened to all of them all of a sudden? Just, just put that out there. Uh, you know, in the past, you look at the guys that have come through Red Bull and Toro Rosso some phenomenal talents that have never made it into form, you know, never made, maintained their driving. You're just thinking of Sebastian Buemi, Jaime Algasquari, Jean-Eric Verne. Uh, you know, you could list numerous drivers that have been in Toro Rosso and come through the young driver scheme and never made it. Um, and now they're going cap in hand to another team trying to get a driver from them. Okay, that's working well, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so going into Canada... Uh, who do you like? Uh, you, you like Ferrari, or do you like uh, yeah, Mercedes? Mercedes. Mercedes. I mean, Montreal, fantastic circuits. I love that circuit. It's one of my favourite circuits on the year, in the top three at least. And you can't really look past Mercedes and Hamilton. I mean, it's been his own personal playground for the last goodness knows how many years. I think he won his first race there back in 07. Um, I, I think he's won there at least five or six times. So, how significant, how significant will the upgrades be that the teams usually usually? Bring? Well, Mercedes have said they're not bringing an engine upgrade to Canada. Honda will be, but uh, and Renault will be, but uh, Renault basically Renault have turned around and said, "Yeah, we're going to bring upgrades," but so is everybody else. Uh, so. That's almost them saying, eh, I, you know, they, they, they're probably sort of trying to quieten the expectations of the upgrade to the Renault um, package, which will really please Christian Horner and probably put another nail in the coffin of that uh, Red Bull-Renault relationship. Uh, what Honda bring, that'll be interesting. They said they've got to be very careful with how they roll out those upgrades. Um, so, yeah, I... I still, even with an older engine, I still see Mercedes to be dominant. Um, I, I can't really see Ferrari um, getting the better of them, especially as Ferrari have lost a little bit of momentum through uh, through Spain and Monaco, where 
the upgrades that they, especially the upgrades they brought to Spain, just didn't really work. Monaco is its own unique beast in a way. So it'd be interesting to see if they can regain some of that ground they'd lost at Spain, because at Spain, Hamilton was just dominant. Um, so we'll, we'll see what, um, what, what comes out of this weekend. But uh, yeah, I, you put your, if you're going to put 50 cents on anybody, it's going to be uh, Hamilton, I think. All right. So you have Hamilton for Canada. And Gray, who do you like? I sneaked that one in there, didn't you? Weren't really <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go battle in Canada. Uh, and Seth, who do you like for Canada? Botas. All right, so that leaves me with Kimmy, I guess, or Danny Ricardo. I don't know. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go Kimmy. He had won a race in forever, and I haven't picked a. Formula One winner in forever, except the days y'all leave me Hamilton. So, but um, we've got just a few minutes left. So um, now, Richard, I want to ask you about the rumored IndyCar program for McLaren, and if you think the mm-hmm. relationship with Honda is too fractured to continue, or if the fact that it's uh, you know Honda HPD and not Honda Honda Japan that that makes this a reality. Um, I'm I don't think it's I, I think they actually left on reasonably good terms. Um, the Ferrari and um, oh sorry McLaren and and Honda separation. I don't think it was as bad as everybody made it out to be. Certainly not on the same sort of level as, as Renault and uh, and Red Bull. So I, I think that it was more a case of McLaren took a risk with Honda, naturally. Uh, Honda took a risk you know, coming back into the sport and I think both teams, you know, both organisations know there's a risk involved and they could probably turn around and say you know what guys, it just didn't quite work out and good luck to both of you sort of thing. Um, so it wouldn't be a huge surprise if they if they go down that uh, that route with the Honda package. Obviously, they've been talking to uh, you know some of the teams they've been talking to about mer- potentially merging with or getting support from, and initially and then potentially opening up their own organization. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, was Zach Brown was in um, Detroit all weekend long uh, with uh, Gil Farron by his side. And they spent yeah, I mean, most, he's, you know, they spent most I mean, of their most of their time with against, uh, uh, with Michael Andretti. So yeah, was, I mean, nothing against Detroit, but it really is not somewhere you go on vacation, is it? Um, exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, it's not coincidental that. And as you say, they've got Gilles Dufresne in there, um, who goodness me, going back to to my Honda days when I was well, I say working with Honda, he was our sporting director for a while. Um, didn't work out too well, I must admit. But anyway, that's another story. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's there's no smoke without fire, and you know, your your marshmallows are getting pretty toasted on this rumor, aren't they? So uh, I I'm pretty certain if they are going to do something, it will be with Honda. Uh, with that being said, we are just about out of time. We got a, a few minutes to uh, just run around the table for a final thought from each of you, gentlemen. So, Gray, I'll start with you. Your final thought for the night? Uh, looking forward to uh, to Michigan, see what kind of race that brings. Uh, uh, we see a good competitive uh, race with a lot of uh, a lot of passing, a lot of lead changes up front. Don't know that we will, but uh, uh, it would be encouraging. All right, Seth, final thought from you for the evening? Well, in the Canaan Pro Series, uh, we had a new first-time winner at Memphis uh, this past weekend, Ruben Garcia Jr., who was in the Drive for Diversity program. Uh, it was his first career win, and also in the same race, uh, Haley Deegan, who was also in that program, led her, the first laps of her career. Man, good for both of them. You know what? I uh, Racing needs more diversity, and I... I applaud the uh, diverse program for um, NASCAR. Now, Richard, do you have one final thought for the evening? Um, 
Yes, a little bit off topic. Something we don't normally mention uh, is is the two wheeled variety of racing. But uh, this last couple of weeks, uh, the Isle of Man TT races have been going on back over in Europe, and uh, unfortunately, it's a pretty brutal race. And uh, two uh, two young riders uh, lost their lives this last couple of weeks. Um, and you know, if you get a chance to watch those races, those guys, whew, they are uh, pretty damn brave, those guys, and uh, deserve a lot of respect for what they do. And unfortunately, so a couple of guys have paid the ultimate price for that. Um, yeah, it, uh, it's, a, it's a tough sport. And those guys, uh, yeah, rather them than me. They still do the sidecar races there too, don't they? They certainly do. Yeah, there was a nasty accident with one of them the other weekend, uh, last weekend. But I think, thankfully, they pretty much walked away from it. But, um, you know, it, it's... Unfortunately, it's almost an annual occurrence that at least one or two riders uh, lose their life in that uh, in that event. I'm going to tell you what, British sidecar racing is one of my favorite things to watch. It's my little guilty pleasure because uh, MAV TV, MAV TV shows it every Tuesday about lunchtime. And I just love to watch that. Those guys are nuts. Uh, and that that stuff is so fun to watch, man. It's a brilliant form of racing. Yeah, I think uh, my my godfather for a while. Yeah, my, one of my relatives for a while used to be one of those idiots that throw themselves around the sidecar part of it. Yeah, yeah, it just looks like you, you watch this is like it's like mind blowing, but it's so fun to watch and it's so competitive and it's so good. And there's so many good forms of racing, but uh, we are up against the clock, so I'm going to say. Good night to you, Gray Warren, Richard Uden, Seth Eggert. I appreciate all you guys coming on the show. I'm going to thank uh, iHeartRadio, Hubazoo Network, um, Hubazoo Radio Network, and um, Spreaker. And guys, we'll talk to you next week. Good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 